Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. It's amazing what excuses we can cook up if we have half a chance. Um, the, uh, the TV show Family Feud, I remember at one point in time when they gave the top 10 excuses people give for missing church. And just remember going through it, seeing a checklist of everything I've ever heard. We're in Ezra chapter 3 today. So let me, let me set the stage for the book of Ezra. Um, Israel, God put, God made a promise to a man named Abraham that he would build his family into a nation. Uh, and a couple generations later, um, Abraham's great grandson, uh, Joseph, ends up in Egypt, and then the whole family ends up in Egypt. And then we fast forward hundreds of years, and now they are a nation, and they escape from Egypt, and they go to the land of Canaan, or in West Virginia, Canaan. Um, and they, 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 go to, they, they go to the land of Canaan, and they live there for hundreds of years, first ruled by judges, then ruled by kings. There's a bit of a civil war. The nation splits into the northern nation of Israel, the southern nation of Judah. Israel is always godless, and eventually the Assyrians capture them and cart them off into captivity, and that's that. Judah, which is, people ask, why are, why, why are they Jews living in Israel? Why isn't, aren't they Israelites living in Israel? That's, that's, that goes all the way back to that. The nation was called Israel. The, the survivors of the nation were the people of Judah. Um, and so eventually, the, the people of Judah do a better job following God, but it's still not great. And eventually, they are conquered by the Babylonians, and they're carted off into captivity. But then the Babylonians get conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And so then the Persians let Israel go back home, 70, Judah, go back home. Seventy years later, under King Cyrus, um, which is a little unusual to, to let a people go back. Not everybody went back home. In fact, uh, when we, talk, we refer to the people that returned to Judah as the remnant because after 70 years, for a lot of people, that was home. Ba- Babylon, Media, Persia, that, that, the, that foreign land was, was their new homeland. And, and for anybody under the age of 70, it's not like they knew what Judah was ever like. So the people that come back, Israel was already kind of a small country. I mean, I think we realize that the U.S. is one of the biggest countries land-wise in the world. It's, it's really very large. Um, all those European countries are about the size of one of our states. Israel is like something like the size of New Jersey already. And then when you talk about only a remnant came back, if you do the math, the people that came back occupied an area of land that was about the size of Randolph County. So very, very, very small group of people that came back that didn't occupy a lot of territory. But the people come back. Um, and, and, Cyrus, king of the Persians, was the one that let them come back. And not only did he feel that God was telling him, and we never know how much he followed God, but he made it very clear to the people, I feel God is telling me, let you guys go, let you go back. But not just be released, 
and we need to rebuild your temple. We're going to use public funds. We're going to use taxes from our empire to help you rebuild your kingdom, your, your temple. We're going to skip the first two chapters. We're going, to, we're going to spend some time in the book of Ezra. But we're going to skip the first two chapters. They're a little dry, some of those genealogies that are, that are hard to get through. Uh, and, and pick up in chapter 3. And, and the point, what have we been talking about? The point of the church is unity. Com means with, community literally means with unity. Uh, I, I, I know that you get the irony with me. The people that need to hear you should be in church are not the ones listening to this sermon. I, I get that. We all get that irony. But if you get one thing out of, out of the sermons this year, it's not just be in church, but be a community. Be united together under the lordship of Christ as, as the body of Christ. Having said that, I don't know that an entire year's worth of sermons on unity is really going to help attendance because, again, the people that need to hear the sermon are the ones that aren't hearing the sermons. We need each other as the church. The concept of... So, the U.S. is such a different... In talking with other friends in other countries, the U.S. is very different than other countries, and some of that is our heroes. Um... You get, you get to England and you've got Robin Hood. You get Switzerland and you got William Tell. And, and you get these here. And we have the Lone Ranger. And, that, I mean that, that, and, and nothing really quite defines the U.S. probably of all of, our, of all of our mythological heroes like Paul Bunyan and all the rest. Nothing quite defines the U.S. like the Lone Ranger. On his own, solves his problems with his own six shooters. Um, uh, uh, off in the wilderness, and we've just, that, that, that U.S. mindset of, I can do it on my own, I don't need anybody, um, and, and there are times, independence is, a, we wouldn't have a country if it wasn't for independence, independence has, like all things in life, has its good points, has its bad points. In the church, in, in a community, it hurts us at times. There's, no, there's this, don't tell me what to do, don't, you know, no accountability, leave me alone. There are thousands of examples of corporate worship throughout the Bible. Just, it's, it's the whole book. The promise that was made to Israel was not for individuals, it was made for the nation of Israel. The promises made to the church are for the church. So the question is, are you part of the church? Because, you know, in that question of predestination, do I believe in predestination? Yeah, I believe that the church is predestined to be saved. Whether or not you're a part of the church, that's up to you. The church is going to be saved. We know this. When we look to the example of Israel, we see in the book of Ezra a nation that was small, though they were a remnant. They were united as a people under under the lordship of God. We see them lifting one another up and encouraging one another in the Lord, enjoying worship. And we should read the book of Ezra and say, I I want that. That's, that's, that's what I want to feel. Uh, I want that sense of community. Too often I think we complain that the church isn't cozy enough, isn't tight-knit enough, and yet we're the ones that keep people at arm's distance. That's my experience, is that the very people that complain the most that the church doesn't feel like a community are the very people that only come on Christmas and Easter. And then what's funny 
You know, we talk about excuses for missing church, often from the same people that will wait in line for concerts for hours. They will go to a ball game and sit in blistering heat or pouring rain. But for church, uh, it's a little, little uncomfortable today. Temperatures, you know, temperatures got to be exactly between 72 and 74 degrees and anything on either side. I want to go to the church. It's amazing what we will put up with for anything else and then not the church. And, these, and, then, and then such people say, oh, but the, but the church is important to me. Is it? Does God see that it's important to you? So I want to look at unity in the book of Ezra in chapter 3 and uh, kind of pick apart this one chapter and see how they were united and what they didn't allow to be excuses in their lives. Ezra chapter 3. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. And then Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it by the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. I, I should mention that when the, Babylon, the Babylonians had a strategy, when they would pull people, when they would capture people, you'd think, well, if they're moving everybody back to Babylon, they're leaving the rest of the world empty. No, the people they had moved generations earlier into Babylon, then they deported them out back to the... So, Israel, when they, when they deported people out of, out of Israel and Judah, they left behind the poor people and, and the crippled people and, and, and things like that. And then they brought in new people. And so now we're 70 years later, and you know what's happened. Those people have merged into one. Um, and for those that pay attention, the, the capital of Israel was Jerusalem. The capital of, uh, sorry, the capital of Judah was Jerusalem. The capital of Israel was a city called Samaria, and these people that were the descendants of the, the, the Israelites that got left behind, plus the people that were carted in, they weren't Israelites, but they did have the capital city of Samaria, so they called themselves Samaritans. And so that, that sets us up for the New Testament. Why, why did Israel not like the Samaritans? They... They were, they were an impure form of Israel, and they did oppose. As, as the people of Judah were coming back, the Samaritans were upset about this. Was our, this has been our country for 70 years. We don't want you moving in. We, we don't want King Cyrus sending you in with money to rebuild your temple. We've been doing things our ways for 70 years now, and we don't want you guys going back to the way things were. The people of Judah rebuilt the temple, despite fear of reprisal, they were surrounded by their enemies, the Samaritans. Oh, I, they had Cyrus's permission, yeah, but Cyrus lived far away. And they had finances, but you've got to manage those correctly, and those can be stolen. And they were they were persecuted. How often do we get persecuted for being Christians? More often, maybe than we realize. We live in, an, in a society that is increasingly antagonistic for, towards Christians. We are not being 
killed for being Christians, praise God. They are in parts of the world. We're not. I maybe should throw in the word yet. I don't know that that would happen as things stand, but we don't get thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. Would, would you preach the gospel if there was a threat of jail? And then my follow-up question is, would you preach the gospel if there was no threat of being thrown in jail? We, we don't tell people about Jesus that much. We're, we're not a very evangelistic culture. Back in the days of Paul and, and Silas and Peter and John, they risked their lives to share the gospel because it mattered. I think it matters to us. We live in a society that the churches of the U.S. are not very evangelistic. The number of Christians in the U.S. is just plummeting, just dropping. And that's our fault. We're not telling people. I think we took it for granted generations ago that everybody was Christian. Pilgrims, this was a country founded on Christian principle, and we just kind of took it for granted that everybody went to church and everybody knew that our doors were open, and if they wanted to be here, they would be here, and And now there are people that have been raised in a post-Christian culture and they know nothing about what the church believes other than what they've seen on the nightly news and that's pretty wrong these days, quite frankly. They don't know what the Bible teaches and, and, and nobody's telling them. I think we're scared. I think we're scared to tell people about Jesus. Why? why? Because they'll kill us? No, that's not going to happen. Because they'll hate us? Maybe not. Maybe maybe just dislike us, reject us. But you know what? I've got friends, and we disagree about lots of things. Sports teams, TV shows, politics. They're still my friends. Friends argue. That's what friends do. They're still, still friends. We sometimes will agree to disagree. And we can do that about faith. I had a friend the other night, Friday nights, I've, I've been, every other Friday night, I, I get online and, and, and yeah, the, moder- the, the wonders of the modern internet, you can play games online now. And on Friday nights, sometimes I get online with my friends, for, that I, some of them I've known for 25 years or more back in Illinois. And uh, one, one of my friends, Matt, said, oh, Jason, I thought of you the other day. There's a, there's a, preacher I found on YouTube that reviews games, board games and role-playing games and those kinds of things. And I thought about you and I should send you a link to that so that you can watch that because that, that made me, th- he said, I don't know what denomination he is. And, I, and, and then that led into a bit of a discussion. And I said, well, this is, just so you know, Matt, this is what I believe. I'm not in a denomination, but this is what the restoration movement of churches believes on baptism and biblical authority. And you know, five or six of us online together. It was a great chance. To, they're still my friends. Do, do any of them go to church on Sunday? I don't think any of them do. But they're my friends and they know this is important to me. And they quietly and pleasantly listen to me describe our church. And that's what friends do, isn't it? I, I think we're more feared about rejection than is real. I think a lot of us don't share our faith thinking, if I say anything about what I believe, my friends will absolutely never talk to me again. When if my faith is important to me and they're my friends, they will support me in my faith. And, and frankly, if they don't, it's not the kind of friend I want anyway. But I've never, I've never had that happen. 
Part of our job is to invite people to church. Sometimes they say yes. Lots of times they say no, but you know what? I'll keep inviting them because they're not rejecting me, right? I have to, I have to recognize that. I'm not being rejected. They're rejecting God, and, and that's on them. Um, they, rejecting God is, is serious. There's an eternal penalty for that, and I know that that sounds harsh. That is not politically correct. That without Jesus, you are destined for hell. I know that that's very blunt and harsh, but I also think it's very true, biblically. I don't think we can hide from that. I don't think I'm doing my friends any favors to never bring that up. You know, Jason, it might strain the relationship. Hell will strain a relationship. Telling them about Jesus, I don't think will. In your walk with the Lord, do not let fear slow you down. Fear is the opposite of faith. We have nothing to be afraid of. We've already won. So we keep reading verse 4. Then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. And after that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred feasts of the Lord, as well as those brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. And on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. They didn't let fear slow them down. They didn't let even inconveniences slow them down. Now, there are a lot of excuses we could come up with for missing church on Sunday. Enemy combatants destroyed my place of worship. That one seems almost legitimate. Um, people in Ukraine, that, those, those eastern provinces of Ukraine, they, they may have legitimate, be able to say that. I've certainly never been in a situation that that is even remotely near. And, but that's exactly, the temple had been destroyed. They were going to rebuild the temple, but they started services, and there was no building, not even a foundation. Um, that didn't stop them. Uh, no temple, no problem. Which reminds us, right, you guys all know this. This is not the church. This is the church. The word church means the people. The, the Greek word ekklesia comes from the verb kaleo. I know, you are, the called out ones. You have been called out of the world to be the church. This building burns down, we're still the church. Um, the building is not what makes us a church. It's, it's, the, it's the congregation. It's the people. In, in biblical days, priests read Scripture from the steps of the temple. They didn't go into the... Priests read on the temple steps to the people down, down below that were outside, um, and the people stood in, in the courtyard and, and such around, around the temple. Uh, and, and when I say read... They might read an entire book of the Bible, not a chapter. Um, in, in the days of Jesus, the teacher would sit. We, we, you, the teacher would sit. You can see this all the time when we read about Jesus. The teacher would sit. People would stand around him. Boy, we've reversed that, haven't we? <laughs> teacher would sit. People would stand around in, in, in respect for the teacher of Israel. Um, in, in most countries of the world, 
they're in awe of how abbreviated churches in the U.S. I had a friend named Jeff in Bible college. They went to Africa on a mission trip, uh, and he had a sermon ready. And right before he got ready to preach, he asked one of the elders in this church, how long do, you, how long do your services usually last? And the man said, well, there are people that have walked for two days to get here. Um, anything less than 10 hours, they will feel insulted. Jeff said, well, I, I have to adjust my notes real quickly. <laughs> he started in Genesis. <laughs> he, went through the, he went through the Bible as best as he knew it in 10 hours. He, he went to credit where, credit where credit is due. Jeff went to 10 hours. Um, we get upset. If, if the clock hits 1130, people start looking down <laughs> Doing this to me, kind of let, letting me know that, that uh, it, it's time to, time to get going, sighing, glaring. Um, I'll, I might hear about it if I made a habit of it. In my previous church, I did. If I, if I went past 11.15, I started to hear about it. If it happened two weeks in a row, somebody was going to say something. Now, having, having said that, I, I, I do understand. Within the U.S., seven minutes, there's a commercial break. We're, we're used to how TV works. Um, it's hard to keep focus uh, we have built, <laughs> I, I don't know how much ADHD and ADD are chemical and how much we've just programmed it into our culture. I'm not speaking against those conditions, but I don't think that we've made ourselves in the U.S. a culture that encourages focus um, and, and discipline. And, and you have to then work with, as a preacher, with what you've got. If I pass your attention spans, anything I say after that, you're not going to hear and I'm probably just wasting my time. Um, I can maybe, if I really would care, I could maybe try to really carefully plan that every month that goes a minute longer and maybe we could kind of build that back up. I also am a firm believer that if I can't finish it in a half hour, it probably needed to be a little tighter written. Having said all that, a lot of times, you know, the whole idea of sitting for a half hour, we're uncomfortable. But again, I emphasize that at ball games, I've been to ball games, I've seen... I've seen the Mets in concert. concert. I've been in concerts that were uncomfortable. I've seen the Mets play. I've seen the Cardinals play. Um, Those are uncomfortable metal seats in glaring heat that I sat in for hours on end. Um, If I'm willing to do that, and church is more important, is discomfort really that big of a deal? Uh, or, Or maybe am I just kind of making excuses Maybe am I just saying things to try to excuse the fact that I don't really want to get into the Word of God. I just kind of want sound bites. I just kind of want the, the Cliff Notes version of the Bible. But, but discipleship? Eh. Discipleship and discipline are too close together. I don't really want that. And I think some of that then becomes also, the ballgame doesn't expect me to change. Go to see the Cardinals, go to see the Mets, it doesn't expect me to change. Um, come to church, sometimes those sermons kind of hit close to home and I feel uncomfortable and I feel guilty and I don't like that feeling that I should be more godly. I kind of liked where I was. And I think that honestly then we come up with other excuses to keep from digging in deep. I think when when I say that we're worried about our comforts more than drawing close to God, it, it probably isn't physical comforts, is it? That that we don't like being made spiritually uncomfortable. You know, we treat the church as a chore too often, but it's a privilege and it's a joy to come together. And 
at the end of the day, if we're honest, this is not inconvenient. We say it is. We stay home because church is inconvenient. But we inconvenience ourselves on so many more, so many more things. And I think that I think that we lie to ourselves sometimes on just whether or not the church is inconvenient. I want to keep reading. Uh, verse 7. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. In the second month of the second year, after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, son of Jozadak, and the rest of their brothers, the priests and the Levites and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem, they began the work, appointing Levites 20 years of age and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Jeshua and his sons and brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, the descendants of Hodaviah, and the sons of Henadad and their sons and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. They didn't let, let's just talk bluntly, they didn't let the cost, the money, slow them down. Um, they didn't just give from spare change. We read elsewhere in the book of, of Ezra that they gave from their jewelry, from their heirlooms, so that those could be used for the rebuilding of the temple, their valuables. The temple meant something to them. It was important to them. Um, and, and where their money, the Bible tells us where our money is, there our heart is. Um, look, times are tough right now. I get the, the economy. Last time I preached on Ezra was in, in, in 2008. <laughs> Now I'm here again, and it's the same message on the economy's tough. I'm, uh, cost of gas is up. The cost of groceries is up. We're watching, just like in 2008, we're watching banks struggle. Um, I, I get it. They're also calling for a quarter million dollar, um, sorry, quarter billion dollar um, week for the movie Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> so, number three. So I, I expect, I, I know that times are tough, but I know that, there, that, that it's, some, again, sometimes we just make excuses. Times are tough. I don't have the money to put in the church plate. Let's go to the movies. Let's go out to eat after church. We can afford that, but we couldn't afford to put anything in the offering plate. Um, I know, I know that as a nation, if People who go to church on Sundays across the nation, if they just tithed, giving around the nation would just explode. They're just churches would be just just they would they'd never have had it that that good on the whole. I reiterate, there's I think that there's tithes and there's offerings. And what's the difference? Tithes is the first ten percent, and an offering is I think when you give beyond that ten percent. I think that the Old Testament, they were required to tithe. We're not required to tithe today. Jason, how much should I give? Try tithing. I think it's a great starting point. If it worked for Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years, if it was what God said to Israel, this is a good number to give, then I think it's a good number for us to give, 10%. And I will simply share, as I've shared so many times, when I wasn't tithing, 
I couldn't get my finances to work out. Could never balance the budget, was always in debt. Preacher, I know a lot of preachers named Jeff. A preacher named Jeff challenged me, tithe, you know what the Bible says, give it a try, see what happens. I tithed, which meant theoretically I had less money in my checkbook. All my bills were then paid. Um, I I think tithing works. I think it's a great starting off point for what we give. Um, Now, let me say, I don't know what you make. That's something that I, my father, best advice my dad ever gave me as a preacher is never touch the money. Never touch, I, I, I don't look at what's in the plate. I don't want to know what you don't tell me. I'm glad that we have a treasure. I'm glad that it has nothing to do with me. When I remember, I take the mail out of the mailbox and put it in, put it in Ken's box, and, and, and I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that you serve the church that way, and I'm so grateful that I don't have to um, because I don't have a head for, for finances in that way, and, and, and I don't want to hold... I, I don't, I'm human. I don't want to treat some people different than others because they give more. Um, I don't want to have to deal with that. I want to treat everybody the same. What you give is between you and God, and I, I, I don't care, Okay? Uh, I don't care for my, I, the church pays me, I don't care for me because God has always taken care of me. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about God's faithfulness to the church. Um, I, I don't even want to be rich. I see that in the Bible that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and I don't, you know, I, I don't want you to give more so that I can get more. I, I certainly don't want that. I think I, I, money is a responsibility. The more that I've got, the more I have to be responsible to God for and I don't know that I'm ready for a whole lot of that responsibility. Now, the, so the reason I say this is not because I want your money or that I care if you tithe. But I do think that God wants me to tell you that he wants you to be faithful in your finances. That he wants to see that he is first in your priorities. And I think, therefore, that giving matters to him. Not to me, but I do think it matters to him. Um, The Bible tells us we can't serve two masters. And I believe that your finances show your priorities. I absolutely do. And that if you spend more on movies in a week than you spend on the church, I think that says something about your priorities. Um, if I spent more on comic books in a week than I did on the house of God, I think that would say something about my, my priorities. Um, don't, all I'm saying is don't let the cost of your hobbies keep you from being devoted to the Lord. There is no better use of what the Lord has given you than in ministry to Him. Earn true riches. Well, there's that 11.30 mark, and I'm still going. So we're going we're gonna to put this one to the test today. Let's, let's keep moving. Verse 10. We'll finish the chapter now. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads, who'd seen the former temple, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping. Because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. That they didn't let 
They didn't let work slow them down. Uh, They were praising God while they were working. They recognized that the work that they were doing was for God's glory. Hammers and shovels. And you know what this project needs? We've got hammers and shovels. Let's get some trumpets. We need trumpets. That'll make, but that's literally what they did. They brought the priests in and the priests were celebrating while the workers were working. I would, I'd love to see it. Maybe not with trumpets. Although if anybody needs me, I have a trombone. If you want to do some work with trombone accompaniment, we can, we can talk. Um, but do we honor God in all that we say and do? Yeah, I, I read that one of the reasons that little by little, increasing religious freedom is coming to China is that China years ago was trying to figure out why the U.S. economy was so much better than theirs, and they sent out their, their, their investigators, their agents, different countries. Why are U.S. businesses so much more successful than China? And it was an interesting result that came back. They said, in the U.S., these are people of faith. They believe in God. This was years ago, right? These are people of faith. They believe in God. They believe that they shouldn't cheat their customers because God is watching. And they take that seriously. It's not just can they get away with it, but they know that they can't. And they answer to a higher power. We're in atheist China. If you can get away with it, get away with it. <laughs> That's just, if the government doesn't catch you, you got away with it. But we know better. We know that our God is watching, that, that integrity matters. And that's what, that's what these agents said to the, to the communist Chinese government, uh, was that in the U.S., there's a higher authority than government, and it matters what we do, and it matters how we work. And so China then began to ease up some of the restrictions as they realized that who knew religion, faith, Christianity has a positive impact on society around it. I hope that we still get that lesson, that that work matters, that our integrity in our jobs matter, that when we work, whatever we do, We are not working just for ourselves, just for our community, but we are working for the Lord. Now, again, if we go back to that you're trying to serve two masters, that's a different story, right? When Christians live their lives as living praise, and there is rejoicing in their lives, people will notice. People will notice Jesus in our lives. But more than that, praising God is not just to be done on Sunday mornings. What a, what a weak life that would be. We praise him always in all that we say and do. I, I am reminded, and I want to close with, with these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your whole life is a chance to praise God in whatever you do. Take advantage of that. Um, don't, don't let the world, don't let our work, don't let our hobbies, don't let anything slow you down. Always praise God. Uh, it is a joy to serve him. Our hymn of decision today is hymn number 709. What, I will say one final thing that they didn't let slow them down that we read in those final verses. Emotions. Um, they, they were not afraid to mourn. Though, those who'd seen the previous temple 70 years earlier were not afraid to mourn and be real in their sorrow that what that they missed the old days in the old temple some people don't want to admit some people don't want to accept jesus 
because to accept Jesus is to admit that they are weak and that they are lost without him and that their life is wrong. But without Jesus, our life is wrong. And we have to humble ourselves, get rid of our pride, and admit that we need him because there's no point being saved if you're not being saved from something and that something is our sinful ways on our own. Um, Don't let pride get in the way. You need Jesus. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, let's talk. Have a nice week.